This is the hottest place, 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 Hey, Cabby, I just want to say uh, thank you very much, man, for coming on our show today. We really You're appreciate welcome. it. What is it called again? What do I you guys Only Touch have? Greatness podcast. I Only Touch Greatness. Okay, wonderful. Well, then uh, this is... That's why you're you here. Guys are, no, you guys are lying to your audience right now because this is <laughs> like someone, someone else canceled and then someone else canceled and then I was, nope. avail- I was the next one available, so I, I happily, happily jump in. <laughs> Not at all, man. We're huge fans, especially growing up. We, uh, we definitely watch you on the score all the time. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We're just going to throw some questions at you. Uh, okay, where did yeah. You, where did you grow up? I grew up in Toronto and I lived all over the city. Um, I'd say mostly I lived in the, I guess, the West End before I was uh, 12. And then when I was 12, I moved to a small town outside of Toronto called Cambridge, Ontario. It's about an hour away. And I went to high school there. And then I went, moved back to Toronto to go to Ryerson to take radio and TV, and that's how I, I, I snuck my way into the, the broadcast world in sports. Yeah, I was just going to say, what made you get into broadcasting? Um, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be like Will Smith and Denzel. And when I was in high school, I came with this plan. I was like, oh, let me learn about radio and television first as sort of a, a way to backdoor into film. It didn't work out that way. And then when I was at Ryerson, I was like, ah, you know, I should probably get an internship. And I was just lucky that a guy who was in a year ahead of me just saw myself and my friend Adnan Verk in the hall one day. He's like, hey, you, we, need, we need some interns at the score. At that time, it was called Headline Sports. Give me your resumes tomorrow, and I'll, I'll try to get you an internship. So I did. I wrote, you know, and I didn't really have any production skills. The only thing I did in high school was I used to edit like the year-end um, athletic banquet video and then the football video. And I would just like infuse a bunch of movie clips, you know, and I had like these like two v- VHS decks and it was real DIY. But, um, you know, I'm throwing some Ace Ventura, some clips from like the program, any kind, any sports movie yeah. or any motivational speech, I would put it in and, and it would like, it would look great. And then there would be the grainy footage from our actual football team, <laughs> which was like such a, like the quality level was like, uh, you know, you guys are, you guys are on the West. It would be like standing on the top of, uh, uh, the top of like Grouse Mountain, and then that would be like the Hollywood quality film, and then I would be, you know, our videos, our football videos would be somewhere in uh, on Granville Street, like yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where the some there are some CD characters around, like that. Yeah. That was a quality in the difference. No HD then, absolutely not. No, I, this was like four by three, <laughs> long play. This is you guys are. You know, you guys are some young bucks. You guys don't even know about the era of VHS tapes. Hey, and I'm that, and like taping I'm things off of television. How old are you? 37. You look 27, you liar. Oh, are you? Hang on. <laughs> hang on, hey. right, Still, listen, a lot of people go balder. Michael Jordan went bald early. He started, he, he decided to shave his in like 1988 or 1989. And he was yeah. like 25 years old or 26. So no harm in that. What, uh, what gave you the idea of cabbie on the street, which we absolutely loved? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I was helped by Lisa Bose and Steve Coolius, who were weekend hosts uh, at The Score, and they wanted to change the format of their highlight show and have a man on the street. 
And so they brought this idea to me and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. And at the time I was like auditioning, I was trying to like be some actor and I was auditioning for commercials and I, you know, get one line here or there in like a Tim Horton spot. And uh, so I wasn't really that enthused about it. And then after about a week, I met a guy at work whose name was Brian. He was my man B and he was fresh out of film school and he had a camera. I was like, all right, well, this guy has a camera. I should go try some. All right, let me go do this man on the street segment. And I went out and asked people about Toronto losing the Olympic bid for the 2008 summer games in 2001. Uh, and I had a, a camcorder and I had Brian shooting me and just asking random Canadians around city hall. And it was pretty bad. And I made up these like really stupid mascot names and it was just terrible. So I, I, I edited it and then I uh, showed the boss. He's like, do another one. So I did another video and I was asking people about the national anthem being played before sporting events. And if people agreed that it should still be played, people were like 50, 50 again, I just uh, was accosting random Canadians on the street, uh, on the streets of Toronto. And at the end of the piece, we had people singing O Canada. So I just, I just chopped it up. And there was a clip of me singing O Canada as well. I was singing to a baby in a stroller and then the baby started to cry. So then my boss is like, okay, this is funny. So that was the very first uh, cabbie on the street, which aired in July of 2001. So I've been at this for a for a little while. And uh, so without the help of Lisa Bose and Steve Coolius, I, I may have just been another guy, you know, eating a donut in a Tim or like a, some kind of like a turkey sandwich in a, in yeah. a Tim Hortons commercial. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. There wasn't a night that you're up partying and the score wasn't on in the back to, on the TV. And uh, I appreciate how much hard work you must have done on the, putting those clips together. I'm the guy that makes the videos for us too. So I Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Well, you understand like those marathon shifts in the edit suite, like yeah. editing literal frames, removing, you know, moving video yeah. clips a, a few frames, and then you have to get the right audio mix. And then it's like, oh, what's the transition here? And then, oh, can I put a graphic here? Or like maybe some text. Oh, let me change the size of the text because it's covering someone's face. Or, yeah. I totally know that. And I'm, then I'm all the all the audio all the audio gets made in Pro Tools, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. See, I'm I'm working on a on a Connor McDavid interview right now, and I've in the quarantine I've taught myself how to edit, and it's like a McDavid interview. It, he doesn't do well with me. He doesn't do that many interviews, and because he's such an electric player and and the face of the league, I want to like give it its proper due. So yeah. I'm like on these tutorials on YouTube, trying to learn how to do particular effects, and it's it's a daunting task and I want to try to publish it before the NHL resumes. So that's, that's the current project that I'm working on. Much yeah, like yourself, you're, you're stuck in edit suites, like making videos. Yeah. Make them pop. And I, and I understand that you, when somebody big like that, you have, want to make it the best project possible. That's how I felt about my Theo Fleury interview. Nice. Yeah. So I had to make the video and I, you know, like you talk about the video, but then you talk about like when he's talking about, Oh, the 87 brawl. So then you, you play the clip of the 87 brawl and having to clip things in. I, I enjoy that stuff. Yes, I know exactly that struggle. Yeah. That I, let my buddy, I let my buddy know that I was interviewing today, so he threw out a question for me to ask you here. Okay. I'm going to shoot for you. Uh, you've had and still do have one of the most unique and fun interview styles that has come to sportscasting sports in Canada within the last 20 years. How did you come up with the inside your bubble interview style? Who influenced you to come up with that style? Um, I don't think I had any direct influences. I, I, um, when I was first starting out, there was a guy on BET. His name was, his name is Al Shearer, but he had a character named hits from the street and he would go to 
like American U.S. colleges. And he would interview people very much as a man on the street, but he would kind of make fun of them. And that's where a lot of the humor came from. With me, I wanted to make fun of myself because I just thought it was more endearing. And also, like, I just didn't feel comfortable making fun of people. Uh, I'm not like not really that kind of a person. Um, so he was fearless, man. And um, he sometimes he would dress up in like different characters and it just seemed like he had no off switch. So I think that maybe informed me a little bit, but as far as like the way I interacted with, with athletes and stars is I wanted to treat them like they were my friends and I'm a pretty big guy and I'm gregarious and I'm like very touchy. Like I'll put my arm around guys, you know, whatever handshakes. And so I just wanted to, I just wanted to let them know like we were the same, even though they had this extraordinary talent and they were very well compensated for this talent. I wanted to let them know like man to man that we're just like the same dudes. We, you know, often buy the same kicks, like probably the same movies and listen to the same music, that kind of stuff. So it was a way to disarm them because generally people never, like if you're an interviewer, you're only, you're putting the microphone in a guy's face and that's pretty much it. You're not ever, and you might shake their hands afterwards yeah. or you're not like hugging them or I used to put like my face against like dude's chests or I put my face against their face. If it's see, just uh, see how far I could push the boundaries. And sometimes I did. And sometimes people hated them. There are there guys like Yarmir Yager hated the interviews. Chris Drury was another guy who didn't like them. That was my next question. Actually, it was like, you have a very unique style and we loved it. But uh, like I was going to ask who had the weirdest or negative reaction to your style. Yeah. Uh, so Yager was one. Yager once, as I entered the, uh, the dressing room, he's like, are you going to ask me stupid questions again? I was like, yes, yes, I am. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's a little bit embarrassing to have someone just kind of blow you up like that as you enter the room and there are 20 or 30 people there, but whatever. I just, I just knew that, um, the audience didn't care about the process. They just want to see the final product. So I just took those lumps and it, whatever it was, just part of just part of the gig but, and I didn't think he was being malicious he was kind of just yeah. using me as the butt of the joke which is fine because I often put myself in that position to be the butt of the joke because I think the audience would enjoy it a little bit more but uh so you so is one of those dudes um Amari Stoudemire once um Raja Bell when he was playing with the Phoenix Suns Raja Bell told me that Amari Stoudemire was the guy that lost the most money on the team playing when they're playing cards so I brought that up in an interview and he had a tattoo I think of maybe like a coat of arms or one of like, I think there was a card or something on his arm and I made reference to the tattoo. Oh, did you get that tattoo because you lost like 15 grand? Ooh, he did not like that because <laughs> the tattoo was probably something real personal. And he yeah. was like, what? So what kind of, what kind of bleeping questions are these, man? And it's just, it was Amar Stoudemire, me, my camera guy, my man D, that was it. Like, we're the only ones in the, uh, the Suns <laughs> locker room. And then Leandro Barbosa just sort of meanders in, just minding his own business. And then he looks at Barbosa, like, kind of questions are these LB? What the bleep, man? So I was like, he just started to rush up my face. I was like, I need to get out of here because he was just getting real uncomfortable. I didn't think he was going to strike me, but just the, just the, um, the vibe, it just changed like that. It was my fault because I insulted him by insulting one of his tattoos. So, um, he didn't like it. Uh, the last time I got one of those reactions was DeMarcus Cousins in 2016. We were at the uh, NBA All-Star Game in Toronto. And I was, it was first thing in the morning. It was probably 9.15. And the Western Conference All-Stars are in this conference room. It was at the convention center. 
and each player is on this like platform and they're sitting there almost like on a kind of a throne. And it's sort of hard to get to the guys because they make, they intentionally have this, have this area where the players have a lot of space and then the media is beyond that space, like a little pod. Yeah. So uh, I sort of, you know, I, I ambushed him at the side of the pod and then I was just asking him questions about being referenced in hip hop songs. And I think Boogie Cousins had been referenced in one or two songs, but I got so close to him. He's like, yo man, why are you so close to me right now? And I was like, oh, I just want you to hear me. He goes, I can hear you from there. But he was, he's, I mean, because it was the first thing in the morning and that's the, probably the last thing he expected to happen in an interview, he didn't take to it too well. So it's happened a few times. That's More tough, times you know, a that's pleasurable experience, but every once in a while you get one of those that yeah, it's a fun story to tell. It definitely comes up once in a while when you're in contact with somebody. One thing you're saying though, how, even you just wanted to get into it and get your name out there. And just, even if you're doing interviews and they're awkward at some times, but you're trying to get your name out there and make like build your own resume. Right. Yeah. It was, it was more just cause I just knew that nobody was in this lane that I was traversing myself. Like I was infusing pop culture into sports and I suppose uh, Bill Simmons in his writing on ESPN, he was the first journalist to, he was referencing like nano two. He was referencing like TV shows in his writing, but I was, you know, when I was talking to athletes, I was, I was asking them about sneakers, mixtapes, yeah. girls, you know, restaurants. Like it was, it was like a lot of lifestyle questions, and I wanted to know about them versus the game that they played, because there was a lot of analysis about the game, a lot of X's and O's, and that sort of thing. And I'm not an expert by any by any stretch, nor am I really a journalist. I was there to entertain the audience and then inform second you've uh, interviewed like the biggest names in sports jordan bryant ovechkin mcdavid russell wilson aaron Rodgers. like uh what's that feeling man and how do the encounters go do you remember one more than the other i remember them all um and they're, they're pretty special it's like when you get to when you get to stand next to or interact with greatness it's uh it's a different kind of feeling and That's what we're the doing interactions right are what's that that's what we're doing right now, interacting with yeah. <laughs> Not quite, not quite. This is, uh, this is like, uh, you know, there's like an A list and a B list. Right now, we're, we're somewhere around the O or the P list. <laughs> yeah, we're way, right. we're well down, down the line here. Uh, but uh, interacting with some of these guys, it's, sorry, what I was going to say was the, you don't really get that much time because the, these athletes get asked every day, like by dozens or hundreds of people for their time, whether it's, to appear in an, at an event or to uh, go somewhere or if they could do an interview or whatever. And these guys have lives outside of their sports. So their time is very limited. So I might get, so generally the interview, like the slots are anywhere between four minutes and eight minutes. Every once in a while, I'll get, I'll, I'll get to spend maybe 12 minutes with someone, but they're pretty short. So you got to get in and get out and to build a rapport with someone quickly, there's, it's, it's more of an art than a science. You have a little bit of small talk and then the camera's rolling, but these guys have been interviewed so many times that many of them, like Russell Wilson is an absolute pro. He knows like when the camera's on, smiles come out and he's like, he's a very eloquent speaker and he's great. Um, and you know, when I, when I got to interact with either Kobe or Michael, who were the guys that like, uh, you know, on the Mount Rushmore's, in their eras, and certainly Michael Jordan is still on the Mount Rushmore of greatness, Definitely. I think across all sports. Uh, it's, um, 
and I got, I had many more interactions with Kobe than I did with Michael, but Michael moves the air in the, in the room. Like he is, he affects the space. And I felt that once when um, President Obama attended game two of the NBA finals, which were the Raptors versus the Warriors, he was um, uh, Commissioner Silver's guest. So when Obama was like at the NBA finals, it was like the whole building felt different because, you know, it was one of the, he was, you know, uh, two years removed for three years removed from being the most powerful man in the world. And then you just see the different secret service guys, like in the bowels of the, of the Scotiabank, like what's happening? Like, Oh my. And then it's like the whispers, like Obama's here. Like what Obama's here. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, so even though I may look at these people with wide eyes because I revere their talent and like these guys are super famous, I, I realize that my time is very short, so I can't fanboy too much because I have to like, I have to ask, ask the questions that I prepared, sort of get in and get out and let them, you know, continue on with their day. And if we happen to form uh, some kind of relationship or a friendship afterwards, that's, that is an added bonus. What's uh, Drake, Khalifa, and Kendrick Lamar like? All right, so uh, Drake, I've met probably, I've interviewed three times, so I probably run into Drake maybe like 10 or 12 times. Super chill, always really nice, very cordial. Um, Kendrick, Kendrick is a lot smaller than you think. Like he's a small dude, but his brain obviously is kinetic and his wordplay and his dense lyrical content and his, in his craft of being an MC is otherworldly. Um, and he was super cool. Like I, I always try to, my goal is to try to make somebody laugh. And I got Kendrick to laugh a couple of times when I asked him about various people that might kill his vibe. Cause one of his most famous songs is yeah. please don't kill my vibe. It was his biggest song at the time. And I got him on a question. I was like, you know, sometimes when people tell you they're from a city, they're like, Oh, I'm, or from a certain neighborhood or from a city. And then you ask them more questions about the neighborhood. I'm like, Oh, so you guys are in Vancouver. And uh, but really, like, if you're from Surrey, you would, might say you're from Vancouver. And, but then once you start digging in and you find out the person's really from Surrey, you'd be like, yo, why didn't you say you're from Surrey in the first place? Like, those kind of people <laughs> okay. that want to inflate, you know, their status or whatever. I was like, do those people kill your vibe? He's like, yeah, that's a good one. I asked him if, like, Dwight Howard kills his vibe. He said, yes, because Dwight Howard, I think, did one year with the Lakers and then bounced to Houston because he – yeah. He, just, he just wasn't a fit with Kobe and, and Steve Nash or whatever. And then Wiz Khalifa, he probably, I don't know if it's in his rider, but Wiz was smelling hella earthy that day. Like, <laughs> it took about 45 minutes. We, you know, we had the interview. He had, a, he had a show at seven. We got there like three. I don't think Wiz did the interview till like 4.30 or 5 o'clock. My guy was just in a great mood. He was like... You know, he, he really lives that life of, yeah. uh, of enjoying the final, finest herbs that the earth has to, can provide. Um, so he was, he was a pretty fun dude. He's from Pittsburgh, so I just asked him some, like, Pittsburgh sports stuff. And I had him freestyling, which I couldn't use this part. So he was freestyling um, and using, like, different – like so uh different sports teams so the Steelers Pirates and the Penguins because those are the three professional yeah. teams but what he said in those bars I couldn't put on TV so the so no one's ever been able to see that but I, I remember that fondly because he just you know said words that you can't say on TSN you know what I mean that's, that's uh one thing last night we interviewed Little Flip okay 
And to, right after you coming up, we got Busy Bone from Bone Thugs and Harmony. Wow, nice. Wow, so, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So I, I, hope, start- I hope Busy Bone can tell you a couple of Biggie stories because back in those days when yeah. they were recording, I think everybody recorded together Yeah. versus now where you just send a verse over yeah. an email. There's that one picture where they're all in the studio and there's like Bone Thugs, there's Biggie, there's Puffy, um, Nas was there. Uh, but Wu-Tang was all in the same studio oh, wow. all in this picture in, from New York back in the day. So one of my questions definitely is going to be touching on the Biggie. That's and cool. then I wonder, I wonder if how Biggie or just being around those guys, like just subconsciously it affected them or, or, or informed them, maybe even changed their style or just maybe their writing process. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm sure. Cause you know, being around those heavyweights and those icons in hip hop, even at that time, it just, it's got to rub off on you in some way. It must. And to be in part of the, one of the biggest groups of all time, I say the biggest group of all time. Bone Thugs? Yeah. They're easily number one. What? Bone Thugs <laughs> isn't even in the top 20 of biggest hip hop groups of all time. Are you kidding? <laughs> listen, Bone Thugs, listen, they have, they have an era, they have a time, you know, mid-90s, and then nobody really came out of Cleveland, Ohio. But you have NWA, you have Run DMC, you have yeah. Outkast, you have Mob Deep, you have Wu-Tang, you've got oh, Beastie Boys, you've got, um, oh my goodness, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you call TDE a group. Uh, that's more of like, that's more of like a clique. Um, but I don't know. There's, see, I, I grew up loving only the West coast. So I never really cared other than Wu-Tang. I didn't care for anybody out the East coast. Uh, I was all death row and he would like that doesn't corrupt. That'd be group number two. NWA is definitely in the top one or two. Yes, absolutely. So you can't put both thugs. No, like, (laughs) Maybe, maybe because your West Coast sensibilities, maybe they go in the top 10 because there aren't that many groups from the West Coast. But then yeah. you have like, and then even... West Side know, Connection. You have West, you have West Side Connection, Bow Down. Yeah, like yeah, that was, I mean, they had a couple of records. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how influential they were in the culture, but they had a couple of records. Yeah. Anyway. It's West Coast biased. That's fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. How was it uh, getting doused with uh, champagne from Powell? It burns. It burns your eyes. Oh, if you're ever in a, in a celebration where there's champagne being passed around or potentially being, you know, doused over someone's head, get some kind of eyewear. Now I understand why, and, and baseball was the first sport that I saw where guys were wearing goggles. I, uh, I stole the idea from Pedro Martinez in 2004 when they finally won the World Series. They beat the, they beat the Yankees in 04, and then they, they, they just dominate. I think they beat the Cardinals in like six games where no one really remembers that series or maybe they beat the Cardinals in 2007. No, they beat the Rockies in 2007. Anyway, when I started covering the Stanley cup playoffs in 2008, I wore a yellow poncho and like um, swimming goggles. Cause I knew someone was going to spray me with champagne and Dominic Hasek sprayed me with some champagne and somebody else, somebody else sprayed me with champagne, but it didn't get in my eyes. Now, Norman Powell fully. And I like at the end of the interview, I thought like I'd, was supposed to ask him one more question. So I'm like, so he's next to me and I'm looking at my producer like, oh, did I, did I forget something or did I, did I F up? And that's when Norman, boom, behind me, boom, the entire, this is for all the, the, the stupid interviews that you do. And they just soak me with champagne and it legit burns your eyes. So beware, fellas. Uh, you, left, you left TSN in 2019. Now you're working with Bleacher Report, correct? 
That is correct. What was the big uh, change for? Uh, it was opportunity to go work with uh, a brand and a media company that I was professionally jealous of for many, many years. Bleach Report was always in the middle of the conversation of whatever was happening, whatever big moments were happening in sports. Bleacher either had a post or some graphic about it, or they just they were just so fast, or it was so fast to respond to these huge moments in sports. Um, and I was just like, I don't know how, like, how do these guys do it? Like, do they have a farm of these graphics ninjas or do they have like just a whole college of these whiz kids that are able to mine these moments from all over the place? I mean, in, in football, it could be somebody, you know, hurdling another player. And then all of a sudden they have like a graphic of that pl other player being like a hurdle on a track or Patrick Mahomes can throw a no look pass, you know, and then six minutes later, the clip is on, on Instagram. And that's where I discovered, cause I wasn't what at that time watching Kansas city. And I don't know who, what game it was, but anytime, excuse me, anytime there was a big moment, Bleach Report always had a commentary or a post about it. And um, when the opportunity came up to go work for, for, I was like, man, I, I want in because this is like, they, they do the work that I love. So I want to be a part of that. Definitely. I'm a big fan of Bleacher Report. I, Nice. Five, I got five fantasy football teams, so I take it, I take I take wow. the report really seriously. <laughs> five fo fantasy football yeah. teams. That's a lot of work, and you have and so that Chiefs really with with five teams, you have no allegiance to any team. You just have an allegiance to the uh, players that are on your rosters. I'm I'm a Seahawks many game goer. I go to maybe three to four games a year. Okay, nice. Um, that's a lot. Uh, but being on five fantasy teams, I do all try to pick the same players for each team so I can cheer for them. But if you, if you get that, you get that often that bad time where you got to play against your own players from a different league. But that's, but if, that's you, tricky. if you if you pick if you're smart enough and able to get the same players on each team, then you either win all the all the leagues or you lose all the leagues. You lose all the leagues. But how did you, you win, do in twenty nineteen? I went three for five. Three, so you won three yeah, leagues? Wow. Five. And they, uh, they're 225 Canadian buy-in. I have one that's 125 buy-in. Good for you, man. I don't think I've ever won a fantasy pool. Granted, oh. I'm not out there with like five teams. However, it, you know, like congrats to you on, on uh, drafting well, but then also watching that waiver wire. Those wa waiver wire acquisitions are huge. Through the seat, huge. I and, honestly, if you draft your team good enough – you don't need to touch the waiver wire until you have bye weeks and stop. And by then, everybody's moved down. You're in the number one spot when the injuries and the buys start happening. And if you if you built your bench strong enough, you don't even need to use the waiver wire, and you save it to that number one spot till you need it. I or guess. there's somebody. There's somebody. But there's there. always there's always some somebody that comes out of nowhere that yeah. is an absolute stud or some rookie o that is Odell over. Beckham was for me o a few years ago. Odell. I found him on the waiver wire, and then that's the year he did the one-handed catch, and I ended up winning. I won four of four that year. <laughs> wow! So that was only nice in work, four. Man. I yeah. gotta hit you up for some for some tips on my. Uh, hey, you, 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 hey, you sound like you're not winning any. So you no, I'm teams. definitely not. No, you're welcome to join my league. Those are the kind of people <laughs> I want in my league. <laughs> no, thank you. I've given away enough of my money in my, in the past. What you miss about? What do you miss about To so far? I know the whole um, city was pretty devastated when you left. I don't know about that. Uh, I, miss, I miss watching the Raptors, and I miss going to Raptors games. Just being in that building is one of the loudest in the NBA, loudest to me. 
Uh, and uh, when they went on their 15-game winning streak earlier in the season, I had FOMO because I was like, oh, I wish I was in the city just to feel that energy and just to commiserate with my homies and just, you know, proudly, you know, wave that Raptors flag. And the team is, the team is great on defense and has actually won more. They, they've won more games this season than the Clippers had or Clippers have, uh, but they're still a big-time underdog. But a great cohesive unit. They have um, – you know, high, high basketball IQ. Kyle Lowry is just under, an underrated defender and just a great floor general. I have high hopes for them, but I've ca- I'm cautiously optimistic as we are on the dawn of the, the mm-hmm. bubble era, which started in a few weeks. They're, so they are coming back, though, the NBA? I think so, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I, at this point, there's, a, there's only a month until the season's going to resume on July 30th. All the broadcasters have lined up, and they've, they've got the games that they're scheduled to broadcast, and the players are all, have all rejoined their teams, getting tested for okay. COVID-19 daily. So, that, you know, ideally they want everybody to be negative before they go into the bubble so that there's a very small chance of anybody getting infected with the coronavirus. But who knows, man? Life is crazy, and um, – if they don't test the staff at Disney World the same way they test the players, then there's a chance of uh, possible infection. But we'll see. You know, it's a, it's a huge risk, but it's a risk that some people are willing to take for oh, our girl. entertainment. See, uh, well, I'm a hockey fan, so I don't really follow the basketball. But the uh, so it's all okay. being it's all being done down there in Orlando. Correct. Yeah, there's, okay. it's all at like all at Disney World, contained in that one. That one hub. I mean, NHL is doing it in Edmonton and Toronto. Yeah. Two hubs, which would be a little bit uh, different. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure, to, I'm sure, you know, Edmonton is obviously, um, I shouldn't say obviously, but Toronto has more like entertainment options for the guys. And, and it hasn't been outlined yet, like what kind of uh, procedures and, and uh, rules that the players are going to have to adhere to or abide by. Obviously in, in Orlando, you, you can't leave the bubble. If you leave the bubble, then you have to quarantine when you come back yeah. for 14 days. I don't know what it's going to be like in Toronto and Edmonton, but. Um, a lot of hotel, a lot of just, hotel bars. They might have to. Yeah. And like, like, you can't leave the hotel. I wouldn't think. Unless you go, unless you go to skate and, uh, yeah. and play a game. That's going to, yeah, it's going to be tough. I thought that Vancouver should have been a good hub city. They got two monster towers plus the, uh, New ho- new hotel also the park built there it's all and Macalini's own two towers inside Rogers Arena so they could just cross the street to Rogers Arena. And Vancouver is a lot more fun than Edmonton. I yeah, mean, a bunch of <laughs> a young lot, dudes, a like lot it's Way more fun. It's like twenty five times more fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've also been in a couple of movies, The Red Sneakers and The Rats. What was that like? Oh, goodness, um, we're digging. Uh, yeah, you guys you very well researched. Um, well, the rats, I just played like a train conductor. I don't think anybody's ever asked me about this before. It was like a one day shoot. And I just played like, you know, the train, you know, it's like, it's fake New York city. And I, you know, the train you know, stops or whatever. So I go investigate. I'll, I'll be right back. And of course I just get trampled and, and eaten by a bunch of rats. So I actually had rats crawl over my body. Oh, and, no, and, uh, about, I think yeah. I had about 200 or 250 and they're very warm. That was the part I didn't anticipate. Um, and, uh, and that movie paid for like my MacBook. I was so excited because I got a nice paycheck. I'm like, I'm going to buy a new MacBook. And this is the time MacBooks first hit the market. 
and it was like you know the aluminum or like the silver cover i mean it's still the same still the same casing but uh so i was very happy to get that one and i think it was on fox it was a, it was a made for tv movie as well um and the red sneakers were also was also a made for tv movie and i had a little bit of a bigger role i was like the best friend of the main character and that was like my most fun experience acting and it was just a bunch of young dudes and i'm still very close with the guy the guy who was um who uh, played the main character? His name was Dempsey Papillon. He came to my wedding. We're still very close. Actually, we hung out in Vegas um, like three weeks ago. He's a huge. He actually introduced me to UFC. So he flew in for the Kamara Usman fought. Um, no, no, sorry. Um, Israel Adesanya. Stylebender fought. He fought in February, and the fight wasn't that great, but. He's a huge uh, Adesanya fan, and um, that was the last time I hung out with him. But it was it was great. Shout out to Mr. Hines, who was the the director of the film, and I was no longer with us. But he was um, just a wonderful man. It was it was it was a lot of fun. I was like 22, 21 or twenty two, and we we're, were like high school kids, and we just acted like high school kids. It was it was a ton of fun. So you're in Vegas these days, then? Correct. Yes. You've been to a Golden Knights game, obviously. Yes. Yeah. What's yes. that like? It is probably the best on ice entertainment uh, for a hockey team. They do an amazing job in the pregame with, um, with like, it's, it, they put on a show. It's, it's, I mean, it's, you're in the entertainment capital of America, at least. I don't want to say the world because I think Macau is up there too, but um, they really put on a great show and it's great entertainment. I, um, I actually saw uh, Golden Knights versus Leafs and the Leafs lost, and then they fired Mike Babcock the next game <laughs> before they went to Arizona. So that's the only hockey game that I saw, and all my, my peers and my coworkers are all Americans. So we went like as a squad, like 20 people at the Golden Knights game. So every time the Golden Knights scored, everybody would turn to me and like cheer. Like I was – so the, the few times – I think the yeah. final score was 4-2. So the few times that the Leafs scored, I was like, ah! I was like one of the only – actually, no, there were a few Leaf fans in the building, but – not that I'm a Leafs fan, because I don't really, you know, my, my hockey team growing yeah. up was the Vancouver Canucks because I love Pavel Bure, Me and then too. I became like a Kings fan, but so I don't really have an allegiance to the Toronto Maple Leafs other than some friends of mine playing the team. But anyway, that night I was cheering for him, but I, I took an L. I took a giant L. Cabby, we can't uh, thank you enough, man, for coming out today. Like, we really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure, fellas. This is Cabby Richards, and you're listening to the I Only Touch Greatness podcast. Hey, thank you, and we'd love to have you on again. This was great. I'd love to talk more sports. Anytime. I'm always available. Hit me up. Thanks, Thanks Cabby. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Okay, Cabby. you got it, fellas. Nice to meet you Thanks. both. Thanks Take care, bro. Stay safe. Take care. You too, man.